Coming to you entirely pre-recorded from the Garage of Solitude, I'm Mario Francisco Robles. And I've been Brett Miro. And this is episode 147 of the Fanboy Podcast. Brett, what are you watching or playing this week? What have you been up to? Very good. So uh, all of my, my watching, aside from our superhero stuff, which we'll, we'll get to later in the podcast, I've been watching Atlanta. Uh, the third season just came out. Uh, for those of you that don't know, that's Donald Glover's uh, show, uh, or also known as Childish Gambino, and uh, Young Lando from the Solo Star Wars story. Um, the show is great. Um, I'm caught up now completely. I, we, me and uh, my fiance Jesse, we plowed through seasons one and two. Um, it's got this uh, really great dark humor, drama, surrealist uh, kind of uh, quality to it, and I'm really enjoying it. Uh, it's really an excellent show. You should definitely check it out and, uh, playing. Um, I actually just, a game I had started a little bit, but then like I got lost and then I finally just picked it back up. Uh, it's called death's door. Um, it is on, I want to say PC, Xbox and PlayStation. I'm not sure if it's on Nintendo switch. Um, it is another like, uh, over like top down Zelda like, uh, very reminiscent of, uh, a link to the past or some of the old school Zelda games and a, a little bit like Tunic, which was a game I was championing a few weeks ago on the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, this one's a little less obtuse. It's a little more straightforward, like a, like a Zelda game. I am uh, really enjoying it. You're like a little bird. Uh, you're actually like a crow, but you're like a reaper for like, um, I don't know, like death, I guess. So you're going around <laughs> to like reap souls and uh, that's kind of like the little setup for it, but uh, it's a very beautiful game. Um, I think the game was entirely made by two people and it is stunning and uh which the music and the soundtrack is really beautiful it's like this really nice like piano uh kind of ambient soundtrack and uh i just poured a couple of hours into it in the last two days and i uh, finally got past this this portion where i was stuck uh which i kind of put it down for a little bit and now i love it <laughs> and i'm like in like my first like big dungeon now about to uh you know get into like, this big boss and uh it's, it's good it's good so highly recommend it and i do believe if you have xbox game pass it is on game pass so you don't Say have the to name one you... more time for everyone death's door so if you have game pass you don't even have to like necessarily pay for it um i happen to have purchased it on my playstation 5 um about a week or two before i myself bought an xbox and got game pass and then was like oh damn it's on game pass <laughs> oh well <laughs> Hey, listen, uh, it was like two people made it, so I'm happy to give them the money. <laughs> very nice. Very nice. On my What about end, you? Yeah. On my end, it's been all about Better Call Saul. I don't know if you dig. Do you dig on any of the Breaking Bad Better Call Saul universe? No, I haven't. I know. Shame on me. Oh. I've watched like the first two episodes of Breaking Bad like 10 times, and like Jesse and I never continue with it. But uh, recently, just seeing all the praise being thrown at Better Call Saul. Yeah. I think I'm going to have to have the conversation with her and be like, listen, we got to watch Breaking Bad. We're just going to need to burn through it, and we got to watch Better Call Saul. Dude, I love Bob dude. Odenkirk. So. Yes. Well, that, yeah. who, he, he's who I'm going to single out here right now. But right now, like, I'm super excited because there was a whole fiasco, Brett. There's a whole fiasco where the, the most recent season doesn't arrive on Netflix until the next season arrives. You know, that's how a lot of these shows right. work, right? But there was a thing where... When season four had arrived, I had assumed that my DVR was picking up Better Call Saul. So I was going to get to watch season four on Netflix and then watch season five unfold more or less in real time, 
Well, my wife and I got through all of season four on Netflix, and then we go to my DVR and found out that it didn't record any of it. Oh, and we no. missed the boat, and we refused to do like the on-demand of the commercials because we're bougie like that. So long story short, like we're these huge fans of this show, and we haven't watched it since season four arrived on Netflix like, I don't know, two years ago practically. So right now we're doing it right. We're watching season five, and we're DVRing season six, so I'm going to be all caught up on this show presumably in the next couple of weeks. And it's just, it's a masterclass in layered, nuanced, subtle storytelling. And you know, it, it, it's all about just brilliant character arcs and watching the, the fall of a man, basically. You know, the Better Call Saul in particular is just this interesting character study on a guy who he tries to be good. His name, he wants to be helpful, but he only seems to know how to be helpful by breaking the rules and how <laughs> I mean, he kind of like fights against his nature at first. He wants to be noble like his brother and noble like the woman he loves, but he just can't help but kind of cut corners and do things a shady way. And it always works out for him. So that's why like it, it becomes like, well, I could do things the hard way and people still don't respect me and I may not get it done. Or I could put on a fake mustache and lie to some people and get it done. And it's, it's, it's an interesting sort of moral question, a lot of the show. And Breaking Bad in particular, too. It's about taking a, a character who starts off as the most kind and almost beleaguered and like stepped upon welcome mat of a man and he grows into basically becoming scarface by the end of it you know and right. drunk with that power you know so both series are these great long form character studies with really interesting co-stars around them and subplots and really intricate plotting and things get really tense and there's always the threat of death or some crazy left turn because Vince Gilligan is a madman, the guy who in, uh, came up with all this stuff. Right. So yeah, uh, my wife and I are just fully immersed in the world of Better Call Saul lately, and I can't wait. I'm going to be all caught up soon. Um, in terms of what I'm playing, I'm playing a lot of WWE 2K22. Oh. Yes. Uh, I'm. A, you know, wrestling games have always been a huge part of my rotation. I mean, going all the way back to like Super Nintendo, I remember playing WWF Royal Rumble for hours. Um, but yeah, so the latest 2K22, you know, the latest 2K WWE game came out. And I don't know if you heard about all this, but when 2K20 came out, it yeah. was such a notoriously terrible game that they basically like apologized to everyone pulled all support for it for it elongated the online support for 2019 and scrapped 2021 entirely so yeah i remember this whole drama games, <laughs> yeah for fans of these games the big question was is 2k22 going to be worth a damn after the after what they had to do they had to kind of like overhaul it there was a developer change too i think yeah 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 um Ukes or whoever it was, yeah, and now they're working on the the rivals game. They're working on. Say, a game I'm actually very excited. Elite for that wrestling, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I heard and they're trying supposed... to make some callbacks to the uh, to the old WCW versus NWO. Yes, WWE, yes. they got the uh, director no from those games. Yeah, they so got I'm the like, director from No Mercy. I got and... one out. 
<laughs> yes, yes. So yes, listen, how is how is 2K23? This one, I got to tell you, I'm very impressed. I'm very happy with it. They've rebuilt the game engine. I'm finding it all very intuitive. I love the creator wrestler stuff. It has this thing where you could put your face in the game and make a wrestler who's literally you. And I can't even tell you what a trip it is for me to like look on the screen and like there's me as a wrestler. And it's crazy. <laughs> and he's got my face and my hairstyle and everything. Oh, That's I amazing. love it. So, yeah, to me, like as a as a long time, lifelong wrestling fan, to get to make a character who looks like me, and then do a whole storyline career where you begin as a rookie in the training center and work your way up to being in the main event and trying to you know go for the title at WrestleMania. It's awesome. It's like wish yeah, fulfillment, and I'm digging it. I'm happy to report that WWE 2K22 is a return to form. And listen, if anyone out there ever wants to play with me. On PlayStation, my my name, my PlayStation name is Kalel. Eh? It's easy to remember. <laughs> K-A-L-E-L 623. So if you want to add me on there and you ever want to play some WWE 2K22 with me, I'll, I'll have some matches with you. You will fight the actual MFR. You'll see what I'm really about. <laughs> anyway. So uh, that's what I've been up to, but I think, uh, I think, actually, just really briefly, before we get into any news, was the Bahamas as epic as it sounded? Yeah, so uh, it, for me, it, well, number one, it was like a work trip that we were supposed to go on two years yeah. ago. So we had this big uh, year-long or like six-month-long uh, goals that we had to attain for one of our really big suppliers. Mm -hmm. So uh, in 2019, I busted my butt. And uh, yeah, I earned, a, and, and this is one of the rare trips that comes around every maybe couple of years where you, they actually allow you to bring your significant other. So mm -hmm. um, yeah. so You didn't bring me? <laughs> yeah, I didn't bring you. I'm sorry, um, but uh, yeah, no, it was it was it was um, a really really good time. We were supposed yeah. to go in 2020, but COVID happened, obviously. So yeah, finally got the payoff. It was it was too short. You know what I mean? We we're there for like four mm -hmm. days. You know, and really like yeah. the last day had to travel, so it was like really you're there for like three days. Um, yeah. But listen, your first time that. there? Uh, it was my well, I had uh, my first time at that resort. I was at Sandals Royal Bahamian. Um, but I had been on a cruise to the Bahamas in 2018, I nice. think. Yeah, 2018. Color. Looks yeah, like I got a little bit of color now. So. There. Yeah. <laughs> but it was, All right, it was go. Well, either time. way, yes, yeah. I, I'm happy to have you back. I'm happy to have my my co-host back. And now let's go ahead and get into some of the week's top stories. Now, we're going to start things off right now with our Superman on film update for April the 29th. 2022 so look it was great to actually have somewhat of a an update last week and it looks like i've got another one look at it, we're on a bit of a streak here where there's yeah. actually stuff to talk about now what's interesting about this one i need to preface it is the source i don't quite know why we're all paying so much attention to this myself included maybe it's because it sounds so intriguing or like it really could be true or whatever but all kinds of outlets have run with this story. There is this random Twitter user who might be laughing all the way through. I can't believe people fell for this. But there's a <laughs> random Twitter user named Cherry Faluda, who, apropos of nothing, put up a thread that said, here's a thread with everything I know about the Superman reboot. And uh, look, since, since other credible websites have ran with it, I feel like, fine, let's go ahead and sift through this thread and break it down a little bit, all right? Sure. Um, and what's interesting about this, though, 
is it almost feels like it could be a sequel to what I discussed last week without you. And I don't know if you had a chance to check out 146 since you weren't on it, but I did. <laughs> oh, all right. Well, just to recap, in case there's anyone listening who didn't listen, which they should go back and check out 146 because there was some very juicy stuff on that. But at the time, I, I, I found out what I shared was that this Ta-Nehisi Coates script seems to be planned as a, at the time, what I was hearing was that it was going to be a period piece about a black Superman and it was going to have a lot of sort of socio-political commentary in there, obviously because of that era in American history and the idea of it being a black Superman and how would the country accept a black Superman when it's still a segregated country that feels like the color of your skin determines what kind of rights you get to have. So that's what I was sharing last week, that the Coates reboot seems to be that. And now here comes this Twitter thread, which interestingly kind of piggybacks on that and says, well, it was once going to be that, but it's actually evolved into something else. So let's go ahead and look through that. So <clears throat> this uh, Cherry Faluda says, one, while the project was originally intended to be a period piece, the final draft submitted by Coates is currently not a period piece. Two, it's not about a black Superman being a victim of racism. Rather, it uses Superman's alien heritage as a parallel to racism. They are, however, going through with colorblind casting. So that's interesting. I'm going to just go through all of them first, and then we can kind of you know, react in, you know, independently, <clears throat> individually, rather. Uh, for number three, he said Superman is heavily nerfed, <clears throat> being taken back to his golden age roots. He can no longer fly, but he can instead leap tall buildings in a single bound. He also lacks heat vision, frost breath, and x-ray vision. He's also described as moving at Mach 7. <clears throat> all right, you getting all this, Ben? Four. Yeah. They do have descriptions of the characters in the script, which gives away their races. Lois Lane is written with an Asian actress in mind. Perry White is written as an African-American man. And Jimmy Olsen is described as a freckled redhead. So no race bending with Jimmy. If you, I, I'll, I'll save my reaction to that when we go beat by beat. <laughs> uh, five, the film is currently utilizing the Golden Age version of the ultra-humanite as the main antagonist although this may change. At no point in the story does he use the albino gorilla body. Uh, I hope you're taking Oh, no, thank God. <laughs> I know you were assuming. Oh, the I was worried about that. Gotta be using the albino gorilla body, but <laughs> you rest assured he's not. Six, this script is rather long, clocking in at 165 pages. This may be due to the fact that the film is being written as an awards contender, rather than a regular superhero film. It portrays Superman as a champion of the oppressed. The government hates him, but the people love him. Seven, and this is the final point from this thread, the film is a love letter to Jerry Siegel and Joe Shuster's original comics. It also has a dedication to them. Pa Kent's character is based off of Jerry Siegel. 
It actually has a dedication to a lot of writers, such as Jack Kirby, who serves as the inspiration for Dan Turpin. All right. So now we're going to go beat by beat here, Bredersen. Uh, number one. Well, number one we, is just kind of a, it is what it is. But the fact that it was uh, apparently originally intended to be a period piece, but the final draft submitted by Coates recently is not a period piece. How does just that on its own strike you hearing that? Well, it's interesting because when I did read this entire thing, or when we were first hearing some of the, even the rumors yeah. that we were kind of that you discussed on the last podcast without me, mm-hmm. I was thinking I'm like this kind of fits into like that Joker black label, and it could just be like a black label Superman thing. And yep. I, especially now reading that, that it was you know going to be the period piece, that's totally what I thought. But yeah. I wonder if they were like, nah, this needs to be a jumping off point for a new mainline Superman. Don't make it a period piece. Yeah. Um, so, but I, I still think it's a cool idea. I just, I mean, listen, we can't please everybody. We need to have different interpretations, but I don't know what everybody wants. I think I, it seems to me like people want like a mainline Superman entry that's going to be a part of this universe or at least something that's more modern. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know. I mean, I could go either way on this. It's pretty cool. Um, we could talk more about it too because it's interesting that they're not going to do the period piece, but they are very much pulling from a period <laughs> of Superman comics. So interesting. For sure. For sure. Yeah. For me, it's like, I, I feel like it's too soon to be doing like a period piece elseworld branch off thing. Like I feel like with Joker, they were able to do that because there was a mainline Joker. You know, they have the Jared Leto Joker, but also they, they knew that they were, that they, that Matt Reeves was doing his whole Batman world that he's going to introduce the Joker the way he sees fit. So it's like when you know that there's going to be a more traditional Joker out there somewhere, it lets you make an Elseworld tale that plays with it a little bit. Right, right. now, Superman's largely been missing from popular culture for many, many years. So to yeah. do this, it's going to reintroduce him to popular culture. But if it's like a warped alternate version, does that really help us? You know, so I'm kind of relieved that it's not going to be that. Yeah. And my mind starts going back to some conversations we had two episodes ago about like maybe the initial bosses okayed that period piece, Elseworld, starkly different thing but just like when all those dc movies got delayed a few months back and now we're linking it possibly to discovery and the new ownership going hold on don't proceed with anything until we've taken power because we want to see exactly what you're working on before we just go full steam ahead so it makes me wonder if somewhere in these last few months you know coats received a phone call from the new ownership or even from toby emmerich going is there any way to broaden this and modernize it so it could actually serve as a reboot that would be part of like, you know, the mainline continuity, let's say. So that was the first thing that jumped out at me at point number one. Uh, I'm very happy if that is the case, that it is going to be sure. more just a mainline new introduction for Superman. Uh, now for point number two. It's not about a black Superman being a victim of racism. Rather, it uses Superman's alien heritage as a parallel to racism. They are, however, going through with colorblind casting. So you first, Brett. How does that how does that strike your ear? Yeah, that, I mean, that that makes more sense to me. Like, even when, when the rumors were coming out and they were like, oh, there's a black writer. It's going to be a black Superman. Mm-hmm. He's going to deal with race. It's like, 
Well, it is kind of cooked into the character, him being from another planet. There, There is always that skepticism. I mean, we see it in Superman and Lois every week. We see it throughout the comics. There's always that skepticism. Yeah. Who are you? You're a god, basically, and you're from somewhere else. Like, how could you possibly understand us humans or... You know, there's, that's always baked in and cooked yeah. in. So, yeah, I'm, but uh, that's cool doing colorblind casting. But, like, just, I guess, like, to not, like, explicitly, like, make it maybe too on the nose. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe it is still very on the nose. I don't know. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, whatever. It's it's cool. It's all cool. It's all You're, cool with me, man. You're with it. You're uh, yeah, with it. Yeah, for me, like, I'm it with sense. it, too. And, and, honestly, what's interesting, though, see, the colorblind bit, I'm a little, you know, I'm intrigued as to how that will go and how that will be received. And again, it's funny. I feel like my motivations are a little, are a little like selfish here because right. I personally don't really care. I feel like I could be open to someone of any race being Superman, as long as the character seems like identifiably the super, like a recognizable right. version of the character. Like, Oh, you know, I, I know that guy. I don't care what color his skin is. I could tell that that's Superman. Right. But um, my concern is, is that going to create a whole conversation that doesn't have to happen that is then going to eat into the film's box office and success? And to me, that's a problem because the last few times they've rebooted Superman, it's been to some sort of controversy. You know, Superman Returns right. came out and it didn't get a sequel and it didn't make enough money and people were you know they were they were kind of you know sour and mixed on it man of steel similar thing where you know it, it got the very divisive rotten tomatoes reviews and the box office according to you know hollywood accountants and studio executives it didn't make what they had hoped so my whole point is i just want a movie that is just going to be an absolute smash hit. So I know we're going to get three, four, five Superman movies in the years to come. When I hear about colorblind casting, it just makes me worry like, oh no, is this going to become a thing now where like half the audience is fighting that why did you, you know, go all social justice warrior on Superman? Yeah, it's too woke. You know, yeah, yeah. You know I mean, like I, I don't want any extra conversations muddying yeah. the waters and getting in the way of a new Superman franchise taking the world by storm, yeah. you know? And I mean, it's, it's interesting. Cause you have like, right. Like you said, like if, if you use the alien, well, obviously he is an alien. So that is the allegory yeah. for racism. But then, you know, think about it. Like if you do also cast a black actor, like how do you also not address that he's black and we have a lot of racism baked into our society against people of that skin color and yeah. he's an alien. So it's like, unless it, that, yeah. Yeah. I mean, listen. Right. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, that, but that's a that's an even more powerful message and story you got to knock out. There, there's more that comes along with that. Yeah, you know, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. I don't like not want that, but mm -hmm. that that just there's that's an extra layer. You know what that I mean? That is an extra layer. It's just something else for people to talk about and pick apart. Yeah. And I just you know, well, I, and I to do a good layer. job with in a script. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. that's an extra layer you have to address in the movie. It it, yeah. it, it changes things a lot. It does. Really more it than does. you probably think. If the yeah. later point is correct that they're looking more for like an awards contender, then I kind of get going there. But again, it just makes me a little anxious about like, is this movie gonna get mangled by people? forming all these harsh opinions on it before it's ever made it into theaters because of the colorblind stuff, you know? Um, but the funny thing is the timing of this rumor for me sits just right because I just mm -hmm. 
finish that book, Superman Smashes the Clan, which next time I see you, I want to lend to you. Yeah, yeah. I want you to read it. I want us to talk about it. Sure. Because what's fascinating about that book and that story, it takes place in the 40s. And it's one of the first stories where his alien heritage is very much used as an allegory for being an immigrant and for feeling racism and for feeling like an outsider. Like in that book, the author does use the alien thing as like a correlation. And in fact, Superman feels some shame about where he's really from because he knows people judge him or or, are going to look at him funny or all that sort of stuff. Like reading just when I read that, that it's planning to use Superman's alien heritage as a parallel to racism. My mind went straight to Superman smashes the clan. So you should definitely read that book. And I do think it's an interesting way to approach the story. We haven't quite seen that yet. You know, in, in Superman one, the alien stuff didn't even really factor in, in any kind of negative way. He just finds out that he's that, and you know he just seemingly embraces his kryptonian heritage almost straight away knowing that he'll never be one of us and there is that sort of melancholy bittersweet i thought i was a human and as it turns out i'm not but uh but by and large the alien stuff doesn't really slow anything down or 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 get in the way and then in man of steel the alien thing is played for like fear like you know if people know it's not even necessarily you're an alien but if they know what you can do they're going to come for you and this this and that to play it now like an allegory for racism i just feel like it's an interesting different way to go about it and this idea of clark having shame and not really knowing what to do with these things that he's heard about himself and not wanting to be other, wanting to fit in so badly. You know, it just, it, I think that there's definitely some interesting, um, you know, character stuff to investigate there. And that could be sure, a very sure. interesting script. So point number two, you know, I, I'm I'm with. I, I'm curious to see how they handle that. And the colorblind casting, you know, I personally, I can handle it. I'm just worried it's going to create unnecessary conversations that are going to once again lead to a reboot that doesn't get sequels. That's just my one big right. fear. I've lived through it twice already. Okay. Uh, point number three, Superman is heavily nerfed, being taken back to his golden age roots. He can no longer fly. He can instead leap tall buildings in a single bound. He doesn't have heat vision, frost breath, and x-ray vision and he's described as moving at Mach 7 so basically he's insanely fast and can jump really far and he's strong but that seems to be it so sure. what is your first reaction uh, hearing that so i mean you know piggybacking off of point number two that we just talked about yeah. uh all the spectacle all those extra powers it gives them a lot more focus to really focus on who Superman is and what he mm-hmm. represents without all the razzle dazzle. The other thing I'm thinking of too is, like you mentioned, we've had Superman Returns. Big budget, I think, for that movie. Didn't get a good return. Man of Steel, pretty big budget. Didn't get a good return. You know what just had a not huge budget compared to other Superman films that did very well? The Batman. Yeah. So I wonder if this is also a way of them safely navigating the superman waters again and saying let's do a little more low budget more grounded you know mm-hmm. uh take on superman that where we can spend maybe a hundred million 
and see if it actually, you know, captures audiences and we can get the boys, the blue boy scout back, you know, in, you know, the public size in yeah. a really good light. And then yeah. from there we can like up it into something bigger. So I wonder if like part of that was maybe to, to Coates was like, Hey, try to focus on something that's a little less razzle dazzle mm-hmm. and uh, let's see what we can do there. But um, I think it's actually a cool idea. I feel like just me as the, as the comic nerd and the superhero nerd, I do eventually want to see him fly and shoot laser because yeah. like, it's cool. It's yeah, awesome. <laughs> like, yeah, it's just awesome. It's cool. I want to see all that stuff. But I mean, it's cool. Like, as long as this isn't another origin story and is like a year. This sounds like it could be like a year or two thing, like we've been talking about. Um, you know, when they when they did the new fifty two, they actually kind of uh, readdressed that again. And if you remember, in Action Comics, they had him running around with the Superman t shirt and the jeans and, jeans and the boots. Yeah. And I'm like, I, I can I can dig that if that's like this movie, and then mm-hmm. maybe in the second movie we start really seeing him like his power is growing and maybe he's younger, but he's been out, he's been out there for a little bit. So this can really work for me. Um, but yeah, yeah, I wonder if like they can do this movie much safer, save a little money and not have to worry if it, if it doesn't do well and lose mm-hmm. a shit ton of money. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's interesting that you go to the budget. I mean, it makes sense. I didn't even think of that for me. When I first read this, I thought, okay, this is how they're going to address the relatability issue. Because, right, when, when people talk about Superman, one of the frequent things that comes back from people who don't like the character or whatever, you know, just have some sort of thing where they don't think he's going to ever be number one again, that Batman is just the guy and that Superman is kind of a passe, old-fashioned character. One of the things that comes back a lot is, He's basically impervious. He has every ability. He's super powerful. How am I supposed to root for someone who can just solve everything because he has a power for everything, you know? And so when I read this, I'm like, this is a way to kind of make him more human and more relatable. If he doesn't have a million powers and they're not all maxed out, that he has a few key abilities and maybe we'll see him you know, get stronger and develop new ones as the series goes. Uh, to me, that's where my mind went. I'm like, oh, okay, this is going to be a way to get let audiences see him as not just this all-powerful, impervious, unstoppable demigod, you know? Right. And it also made me think that Ta-Nehisi Coates must have read Superman Smashes the Clan while preparing <laughs> for this because it's the same. You're going to read it. When you read that book and you look back at this thread, you're going to go, Coates was totally digging on this vibe. Right. Because in that book, he doesn't fly. He leaps tall buildings. He moves real fast. He's strong and bullets bounce off him. But he hasn't figured everything out yet. He doesn't have the the the, the heat vision or the ice breath yet, I don't think, right. either. And it's something where, like, organically, as part of the story, he figures out, oh, I can do more than leap. Because a situation arises where he's carrying someone to safety and he basically like soars and he's doing it instinctually. He doesn't even notice it. The girl he's saving notices it. You know what I mean? She's like, you might be able to do more than you realize. Whatever. You got to read the book. But the point is like reading that, it's also just straight out of that book. So I'm very much into this idea of him not having all these abilities just yet him developing them as he grows as a hero and finds out more about himself. So yeah, uh, if yeah. point three is accurate, I'm, I'm with it. 
Yeah, I should mention too in the new Fifty Two reboot, they did sort of power him down a little bit. Like I don't, Mm -hmm. he still had all of his abilities, but they kind of added the thing where like he would get a little fatigued after a while. So if he was fighting for a long time or using his powers, he would get a little like drained, and he would need to kind of like recover a little bit. Which like that to me, like I I liked that change a little bit. I was like, oh, it makes him a little more like he's not just like his like he would just be able to just punch forever and like do everything yeah, yeah, forever. Yeah. And like, I, I know like some people are just like, whatever, who cares? He's Superman. And it's about, it's not about that, but it, it kind of is about that. Yeah. <laughs> like, it yeah. is interesting if he gets a little fatigued and he needs to kind of take a breather or get a little recharge from the yellow sun or something. Yeah. You know? uh, so that, that could be cool. I'm, I'm, I'm digging this and I'm digging it. I'm it's digging different. this too. It's cool. Why not? Yeah. So and honestly, looking at this, like, you know, if, if, this makes me think of another aspect from Superman Smashes the Clan. I should just, you know, this episode sponsored by just, Superman just, Smashes just the Clan. Tell me the whole story. I want available to on Amazon. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, something else that that I like about that story's approach to his origin and all that is that in that version of the story, since he does feel some sort of like shame and doesn't want to think of himself as an alien. Um, he never has that thing where he goes to the fortress and is trained and learns of his heritage and all that sort of stuff. He becomes Superman just because he's got these abilities. He wants to help. So his mom legit Martha Kent makes him a suit so he can go help people, but he is still sort of a mystery to himself. And at some point throughout the story, he starts learning more and accepting that, you know what, what makes me different is also what makes me who I am and makes me special. And he starts going towards his special heritage and wanting to learn more and all that sort of stuff. So that would also like if if, if they were to borrow that for this movie, I'd be like that. That would such that would be such a new way to approach it. You know, we've already seen two guys get lectured lectures from Jor-El about how inspirational they're going to be and all that. So, you know, we, we've done the fortress origin already having a Clark right. who goes from Smallville straight to saving lives because he's got it in him. And he feels like if I'm not helping people, then I'm part of the problem. And then along the way, discovering that other stuff, I think that's such a cool way to approach it, you know? Yeah. Um, but okay, number four, they do have descriptions of the characters in the script. Oh, so this is about the the gender, the, the, the race bending stuff. So essentially, it's written for an Asian Lois Lane, a black uh, Perry White, and a traditional Jimmy Olsen. So how does hearing that strike you there, Bredersen? It's fine. Yeah. I mean, we, we already have <laughs> the black Perry White, right? Like, that's fine. Yeah. Asian Lois Lane, I'm with it. Just as long yeah. as she feels like Lois, I don't care where she's from. Yeah, I don't care if she's purple um, like Thanos. Like, yeah. just be <laughs> Lois Lane. I don't care. Like, um, and then the other thing is Jimmy Olsen. See, it's I think it's funny that Jimmy goes traditional. It almost makes him feel like like Coates or whoever the JJ Abrams. Like they were in on the fact that everyone hated what Zack Snyder did to Jimmy Olsen. So they were like, we're just going to give them the beloved traditional Jimmy because in Zack Snyder's one, he gets murdered in the first few minutes. Yeah, of Batman You didn't like undercover Superman. FBI agent Jimmy Olsen yeah. that got his brain splattered across the desert? No? Yeah, like Where for me, that? like that's why the the quote about the no race bending for Jimmy and that he's just yeah. a freckled redhead. I'm like, that seems like a concession from the people making the movie. Like, yeah. all right, we're not going to change it. Didn't we have Jenny Olsen? 
in Man of Steel as we well? Had, and it was yeah. a female, uh, was it his sister? Was well, it supposed was to be? Jenny, and I think people like said that she might be Olsen, but I don't know if we ever get her last name. Yeah, as actually I was under the impression Olsen. that she was Jenny Olsen and they like did a, a gender, gender bender. Yeah. But then I think I thought that too. But then in BVS, they actually have Jimmy Olsen and they never acknowledge that, like, oh, yeah, my sister works at the planet with you, Lois. Well, you he know? couldn't so, see anything. His, his brains were everywhere. Uh, <laughs> you didn't have time it's to hard to talk when your brains yeah. are everywhere. Uh, <laughs> number five, the film. I think that, I want that on a shirt. Yeah, it's hard, it's to, hard talk to talk when your brains, your brains are, everywhere. are everywhere. Number five, the film is currently utilizing the Golden Age version of the Ultra Humanite. As the, can you look up the Ultra Humanite real quick? Yeah, I love the DC Wikia, DC Wikia because I'm not too familiar with them. But the Ultra Humanite as as the main antagonist, although this may change. At no point in the story does he use the albino gorilla body. After a quick Google, Mario, let me tell you, you don't want the albino gorilla. Oh, no. Because <laughs> it looks crazy. Yeah, I have like, I mean, honestly, It looks like 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 white-haired gorilla rod, which oh. is like, we don't need that. I don't but need also, a big I've CG seen monkey. the ultra-humanite as like a bald guy, almost like a mad scientist like, like, like Lex Luthor. Yeah, I've so seen him and, depicted a couple ways. So I'm sure this is the way I would hope this is the way they go with it, especially yeah. if they said they're not doing the gorilla. So he's a, a fiendish mad scientist. He's paralyzed from the waist down and confined to a wheelchair. Uh, uh -huh. His goal is domination of the earth. Um, he's portrayed as nearly bald in two different texts and completely bald in two others. He's a mental giant and the head of a vast ring of evil enterprises. Um, he's really basically he's super smart and he wants to take over the world is in a nutshell. Okay, so it is like a Lex yeah. Luthor type, but I guess depending on how they depict him and the the whole wheelchair angle, if they go with that, I mean that's interesting. It, it, it plays into that whole idea of like the brain versus brawn type of villain hero dynamic, where here's a guy who's brilliant but physically not able to do that much. And he was able to get away with just his brilliance until this Superman guy started coming and ruining all of his plans. So I could kind of see how, like, you know, the the the, the crippled genius going after Superman thing. I'm kind of down for that. Oh, and just, just uh, for fun, yeah. while while we're here, I, I went down a little further. I skipped past all the gorilla stuff. Um, <laughs> in the new Fifty Two reboot. Yeah. Um. He reappeared, and his ver this version is a fear feeding alien from the Phantom Zone. Hmm. He gets out and feeds on the fear of Superman when he is a child. Um. But young Clark is too strong for him, so he retreats to the Phantom Zone. Interesting. Inter well, um, this does say it's the Golden Age version of the Ultra Humanite, so it's got to be so one it's of the older ones, not version, the new yeah. fifty-two. Yeah. I mean, either way, I'm I'm just relieved that it's not Lex and it's not Zod. All right, we we we've done those two to death. I was hoping for Brainiac, but then again, maybe we save that. We build to Brainiac. I know um, we've. I feel like we've been beating the Brainiac uh, since the Revengers days. Beating the Brainiac drum. I've been like, yeah. when am I going to get my Brainiac? Like he he's a very compelling villain. He um, is. Maybe you have to build up that Kryptonian heritage and uh, yeah. 
his connection to that first, really, because I think that's what makes Brainiac even more. And like, see, uh, I would love it. Sincere. By the way, see, now, now I'm just going on a bit of a of a tangent here. Just sure, a, theory, a quick that's theory what we spiral. Do. Yeah, like. <laughs> It is kind of a fanboy show, right? Uh, let's fanboy over this. Me being me, being me. Me being me. I'm going to fanboy all over this. So what if he really doesn't know his Kryptonian origins or anything about Jor-El or any of that stuff until like later on in the movie or possibly in movie two? And in that is where Jor-El reveals to him that there's this artificial intelligence that he had built to help Krypton, but actually ended up destroying Krypton. And, you know, we don't know what became of it, but that's what did it. And that sets right. up that, you know, the, the Brainiac ship is still lurking around. And when it finally comes to Earth, maybe it shows up in an innocuous way. It's not an obvious thing. It just comes, you know, like I, I always thought it'd be interesting if Brainiac almost begins like an Alexa or a Siri, where it's like this AI that everyone allows into their house and talks to and thinks, oh, gosh, darn, this is so convenient. And then all of a sudden something happens and it goes all Skynet on us. And now it's building robot armies and whatever. And we find out that it's that's Brainiac, you know. So and do we get the shrunken city of Candor? <laughs> I don't know. Thing? Yeah. I mean, I, I I think that's why people want Brainiac so bad. There's so many cool little ways yeah. to go about it. And with the allegory of today with like, you know, man versus machine and technology and AI and scientists around the world are trying to develop uh, artificial intelligence that's intelligent but not too intelligent so it doesn't actually become self-aware and get rid of us you know like, there's all kinds yeah. of interesting conundrums about super intelligence and artificial intelligence you could totally bake that into a brainiac story and it would be relevant it would be thrilling it'd be scary it'd be in, yeah it, it i think it'd be an awesome way to go but yep for now, it looks like we have the Ultra Humanite, but maybe they set up Brainiac uh, at a later date. Uh, number six was the script is rather long. So in other words, 165 pages, which uh, do you know the the general kind of rule of thumb on that, Brett? What that yeah, usually it's about time? a minute per page Yeah, is typically how that goes. But I mean, like so, that, it's so early on, right? Like, yeah, it is yeah, so that's early just on. They're going to they're gonna chip. But are they? They just released a three-hour Batman movie. Are they going to trim that? I don't know. I'm just saying that script is going to change 50 times before it gets made. (laughs) Of course. Um, But yeah, but right now, the fact that it's clocking in at two hours and 45 minutes and is seemingly being written as more of like a prestige project, an awards contender, and not just like a summer blockbuster superhero tentpole. I mean, that's interesting. I don't have a lot to say on that, but it just sounds like they're going for something that has some heft to it. And I, for one, will never argue against bringing some heft to a Superman story. Uh, Do you have any thoughts on that or shall we go to seven? No, let's move on to seven. All right. So the final one was just uh, the film is a love letter to Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster's uh, original comics. Um, I mean, that, that part doesn't really matter so much, but... In conjunction with the line, the government hates him, but the people love him, that he's a champion of the oppressed. Because it's true. When Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster first introduced him, it's amazing. If you go back to the first comics, like 
He's not fighting superpowered aliens or big cartoonish right. over the top 1930s, you know, weird cartoony bad guys. He's fighting people who take uh, people who take advantage of people. And he's fighting a man who abuses his wife. And he like he's going after people you know, he's going after people who hurt the little man or who right. help the people who need the most who hurt the people who need the most help. So I love that idea too. If that's where yeah. they're going to go, I think that's an amazing way to approach the story. I think it goes right back to his roots and who knows, maybe reintroducing Superman in the way that the world first got to know him will be the key to finally getting a successful film relaunch yeah. again. You know what I mean? We've tried yeah. all these other ways, but maybe literally going back to that 1938 sort of blueprint and updating it to fit with today, maybe that is the secret sauce that we've always needed, you know? Yeah, I think so, it might be. Um, yeah. So there, there, there is your Superman on film update for the week. Very interesting rumors. Again, I don't know who this Cherry Faluda is. I don't know if they just got high one night and made all these up and went on Twitter. Um, but hey, this is what we're here to talk about. This is the Fanboy Podcast. I am Superman on film. This is what we do. So, all right. Now, Brett, I'm going to let you steer us. What? Where do you want to take the conversation next after oh, we just boy. spent 45 minutes, basically, on Superman? <laughs> well, maybe we should take a quick little detour. <laughs> and uh, let's jump into Amy Hennig. Who okay. is Amy Hennig? All right. Yes. So, Amy Hennig. Uh, she is um, a video uh, video game industry legend, uh, mm -hmm. writer. She was involved of uh, Jack and Daxter, Legacy of Kane, and uh, and the first three Uncharted games. So she was like one of the main writers or the main writer on all of those projects. So she has quite a pedigree. So um, we actually, I think when we first brought this podcast back, I think I reported that uh, she's with a new... Um, formed a new video game studio that's going to be making AAA games. Uh, I believe it's called Skydance Media or Skydance Games or something like that. And uh, they, she, they just got a contract to make a new Marvel game, which is heavily rumored to be a Fantastic Four game. Well, we just got another announcement that uh, Disney has hired her again, more on that in a second, uh, to make a new Star Wars game. Uh, now, fun little, little bit of trivia, a little history with this. So um, previously, a few years ago, Amy Hennig, before she formed this new Skydance studio, uh, was over, got hired over at electronic arts studio Visceral Games, and they were hired to make a Star Wars game. That was when electronic arts had got the, uh, basically got the exclusive Star Wars license for like that, seven yeah. years. They made Battlefront, and I think they only made like two Battlefront games, and then uh, Jedi Fallen Order. But what's interesting is Amy Hennig was working on a single player, very story-driven, narrative-focused uh action game and uh it was uh codenamed ragtag if you actually google you could probably find some little concept art mm -hmm. screenshots from it but basically it seemed like you were going to be uh kind of like a han solo-esque type like some kind of scoundrel and uh it was definitely shots on the desert planet as as star wars games are wont to be and uh you know you're probably going around like doing smuggling missions and cool stuff like that maybe a little more seedy underbelly uh than we used than we usually get in the movies and, and tv shows but uh ea said 
You're making a single player game. Single player games don't sell anymore. This needs to be some crazy multiplayer game like Destiny that we can just do a live service game and keep milking people for money and money and money. So they canceled the project. And uh, then like, I don't know, like a year or two later, they let Respawn, their other studio, make Jedi Fallen Order, which released as a single player game and was a huge hit. And I played the game and it's, it's fucking awesome. It's really, really good. I've got it. Also- you know, I've got it. I played like the first level and then I stopped and I never went back. I got to play it. It's very good. It's tough, um, but it's a really good game and it is actually canon. Uh, so that is actually canon with the, uh, all the new Star Wars stuff that's at the Disney. So anyway, so that's kind of the fun little story behind it. So she lost that project, and now uh, Disney was Disney hired her again. So I guess she has a good pitch. So um, it's still probably going to be an action adventure, uh, maybe third person uh, style, like more maybe more linear, maybe a little yeah. open kind of uh, game. But uh, we don't know if it's going to be like able to take remnants of what they did with the ragtag, or if like. EA owns all that and they can't touch that now or there's a bad taste in her mouth but uh she she is uh she's doing that so I am very excited uh for this Marvel game and Star Wars game at the very least you know it's going to have a tremendous story and uh I don't the studio hasn't released a game yet I think it's a lot of industry veterans and it's supposed to be AAA so we should be looking hmm. for something special but I haven't seen a game from the studio yet so I'm I'm like cautiously <laughs> optimistic and she just had yeah. a bad track record. Like the last three projects she's been on got canceled. Not because of her fault. I think just because the industry has been really crazy and people are yeah. afraid of uh, investing money. Um, mm. But anyway, uh, that's that's my fun little uh, fun little video game update. But, I don't know if I have you know what I want though? <laughs> no, but hang on. You know what I want? Yeah. Did you ever play Shadows of the Empire on the N64? That yes, it was one Empire? of my favorite games ever. Yes. <laughs> I love the Shadows of the Empire. I mean, there was only one Shadow of the Empire. Yeah. Um, I read the Dash book Rendar. Yeah, novelization, yeah, yeah. and then they made the game based off it was Dash Rendar, yes. Yeah. With the Outlander, I think, was yes, the shift. Yes, yes. Or the Outrider or something, Outlander. Listen, it's funny, because I, I remember, like, years later, year because I, I was playing that when it first came out, and, like, whatever yeah. that was, 96, whatever. Yeah, and it was. <laughs> years later, though, you know, once the internet came around, and there were, like, top 10 worst game ever lists, I saw that game appear on there for like different buggy issues or whatever. I'm like, you're out of your mind. Shadow yeah. of the, Shadows of the Empire was an amazing game. And what I was going to say was like, you know, I think it'd be pretty damn cool and worth doing with today's technology to do a new adaptation of that story. Maybe you don't remake that game. Yeah. Well, that's a but, legend now. That's in the old books. So I don't oh, think that's, that's part of the right. canon anymore. So we need, but hey, All listen, we can make a game invalidated. and reintroduce them. They've been bringing a lot of characters they sh- back. They have been, legend. right? Well, bring so, back yeah. Dash Rendar and give me Maybe a version Dash. of Shadows of the Empire. Maybe that's make an Amy Hennig Epic Hennig game. Stuff. Imagine it is. Oh, if man. If that ends up being a thing. Yeah. Dude. That was cool because remember that took place between Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. And it's a little side story, and yep. I think uh, it was like Z- Zizu or Zizu or something like that. Like the main antagonist was like a green alien guy, yeah. and he actually kidnapped Princess Leia. So it was like a little adventure in between those. And, yeah, uh, it ended up in the the final battle, and I think in the books too. Uh, I'm pretty sure they stayed fairly faithful to it. It ended up in a three way space fight between this guy's. I think it was is it Zizor? It's something with the X, like Zizor, whatever. Blanking out on the name. Yeah, so it was like him versus the Empire versus the Rebels. So there's like a three-way space fight where everyone has two <laughs> enemies across. It was pretty awesome. Um, really, really cool. So Amy Hennig, if you haven't picked your concept yet, Shadows of the Empire, 
re-brought into the canon. Do it. Do it now. But okay, speaking of things that are people should do and that they're doing now, (laughs) it finally happened. We've been waiting for the announcement. The Batman is officially getting a sequel. It's crazy. I don't know what... Yes, the Batman <laughs> 2. Although I'm I sure it's going to have called some... the Batman 2. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what they're going to call it. I hope it's one of those like story-based names. That would be pretty cool. But uh but either way it finally happened. We knew it was inevitable. You know, it yeah. did so well at the box office. It did so well critically. It did so well with the fans. We knew Reeves was basically planting a lot of seeds and preparing to launch a whole world and franchise from this first film so it was really just inevitable but this week it became official at yes. CinemaCon, warner brothers discovery and matt reeves himself announced that the batman 2 is happening so yay in case there was anyone worried about that uh it's officially on the way by the way Great yesterday news. tangent i wasn't planning on bringing up today but it's funny the novelty of being able to just boot up a movie that I had just seen in theaters on my TV, totally legally and fine. Cause I don't remember, I don't pirate. I don't do, you know, there are people who Mauricio Fagundes uh, likes to get on me for being a boy scout and not torrenting things, but either (laughs) way. So for me, since I wait like a good little boy uh, last night, I fired up the Batman just to like see it on my TV. And I'm like, oh my God, I was just <laughs> watching this with Brett in theaters a couple of weeks ago. And I called my daughter over after it said the Batman on the screen. So she wouldn't know what it is. I wanted her to just see what happens because she's kind of getting into you. Know, she's 11 now and she right. likes stuff that's a little serious and a little spooky and a little whatever. And it opens with the Riddler you know, the, the, that whole sequence where he's looking at the guy through the window and then he's standing behind him there in the shadows and kills him. You know, uh, she sat there and she was like totally engrossed watching this. She's like, what is this, Dad? I'm like, Shh, just keep watching. What yeah. is this? And then it was just funny, though, because then like the, then the voiceover starts and I see her eyes start to squint a little bit. And then she sees Gotham. And she's like, is this Batman? I'm like, yes, it is. (laughs) But isn't it awesome? And she's like, yeah, it really is. So I'm going to try to get my 11-year-old daughter to watch the Batman with me soon because it's just that damn good. But Yeah, my sister just watched it for the first time. And she was texting me the whole time. She was like, oh, my God, this movie's so good. She's like, and then like she was watching with her boyfriend. And he was like, I think this might be the best Batman film. (laughs) It's hard to argue. Yeah, Yeah, it's really good. It's hard to argue. I know, although... Since we're sharing what the people in our orbit have said, uh, I, I still have an in-depth conversation to have with our friend Joel about it. But yeah. the night he was watching it, uh, 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 he just said this. Uh, it's three hours long, like an asshole. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> I have a feeling that for some people, that three-hour thing might be a little, it might be a bit much if you're not expecting it. Uh, right. But, yeah, it's... Uh, it's pretty damn cool to just have the Batman there at the touch of a but at the click of a button now. There it is on my TV. Um, I'm gonna watch that for a third time again real soon. But okay, yeah, me too. <laughs> so aside from the sequel getting greenlit, there was some other stuff that came out of CinemaCon, including yes. you know, people attendees got to lay eyes on an Aquaman trailer 
a Shazam trailer, and even a The Flash sneak peek. So I kind of want to just go through some of the stuff that came out of that. And uh, let's go ahead and start with Aquaman. Okay. Sure. So I have a little description because remember, we don't we we have not been able to actually see these things. We've only been able to read what people say happened in them. We can only assume that when the trailers for these films eventually get released, we'll probably see a lot of this footage reused. But for now, uh, when it comes to Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom, here's what came up. Um Juan talked about the new technology he was using. This is this is what happened at CinemaCon, people who recapped it. Uh, he So Juan talked about the new technology he was using in the movie, putting 100 cameras on the actors and capturing their performances and then putting a 3D spin on it. That sounds like it's going to be interesting, and it probably makes the, uh, the underwater stuff look really interesting, filming all the actors at all these different angles and do yeah. a three-dimensional image of them that might make the underwater stuff look even cooler and trippier. Yeah, I read that in the first movie they were on wires a lot, and it was like very uncomfortable. So this was a way to them to like not do that so much. Yeah, but I'm also worried like, is it going to be too much CG? Is everyone going to look like a weird gummy bear? (laughs) We'll see what happens. Well, they're filming the actual actors, you know. Right. I don't know. he informed the crowd that he's still in the midst of working on his director's cut, but then he did show off a sizzle reel that showed off Black Manta coming to greater power. There's apparently footage of him like essentially leading an army to Atlantis. And uh, it says lots of swirly octopus-like underwater machines driven by the aqua people here. Uh, Juan said the return to Atlantis will continue the story and world that was created in the first film and take it to the next level. That's with these new different kingdoms and new intense characters. That's with these new intense characters. In a video, Momoa echoed that the characters coming in are pretty intense. Nothing else I've ever been a part of that's like this. So, interesting. Uh, Actually, refresh my memory what did you think of the first one did you like aquaman uh did we see it together i'm not sure it's been a few years now so you gotta you gotta remind me i uh i i was mixed on it um, oh, that's right we did see it at the midway together and i believe I, I yes really, you and vanessa were very a little eye rolly about it <laughs> yeah you know what there was I, I i definitely mentioned this before so i and like i don't mean to be so nitpicky i, I mean i'm nitpicky whatever it is with this. Yeah, like i remember like laughable a laughable amount of like, random explosions in the movie <laughs> that always like interrupted some kind of like moment between Aquaman and Amber Heard or like a serious yeah. moment or like it just felt like there were a bunch of scenes they wrote and they didn't know how to transition out of them so they were like yeah. just uh throwing an explosion and like there it was like like there were at least like four to six of them and by like the third one i was every time it happened i was like laughing and like that's not a good reaction yeah. i don't think in a movie and i was laughing not because it like it wasn't there was no dr- like dramatization from it it was just literally yeah. like we don't know how to get to the next scene uh let's just throw an explosion in here it was it was <laughs> it's james one relying on his horror background just going yeah, just throw in a random jump scare but like it was i remember it being so just <laughs> weird and silly so yeah i thought the movie was was, was okay you know yeah. it was okay it dragged a little bit at points yeah um 
I, re- well, I know, thought it was like, good, but not uh, great. Not the most interesting character for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but it had its moments. Like there were definitely some like fun, actiony Indiana Jones type moments, and uh, I hope there's more of that in this film and yeah. less like political aqua drama. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it, that was one one of the other things I saw in the um, in another trailer description is apparently him and his brother have to work together to stop Black Manta. That's something you know. Apparently, in in the sizzle reel, I love more Patrick Wilson. Yeah, you see him go. He was underutilized in the first movie. <laughs> yeah, although he was so, you could tell he was hamming it up big time. The actor, oh, yeah. I will talk like this. Like he was, you know, he was, uh, he was playing to the back row. Was Patrick Wilson? I think it's cool that they're bringing Black Manta back. Like he was in the first movie, a little yeah. more minor. I think they took him out fairly easy, but like now it looks like he's coming back and he's going to get some like ancient power and he's going to, it's going to, he's going to be like the real big bad. So yeah. like, that was cool to introduce him a little bit. He gets yeah. defeated. Now he comes back. Like, I love that stuff. Like movies don't do that en- enough. They're always like one and done. Let's go on to the next yeah, they villain. Kill the villain off and yeah. now we go to the next yeah. one. Yeah. Very cool. And apparently, like, like I said though, in the sizzle reel, uh, Arthur goes to his brother Orm, wherever he's imprisoned and essentially ask him asks him for help in fending off Black Manta's uh, forces. So it's going to be interesting to see the brothers now working together instead of against each other. Um, and yeah, you know, all in all, I'm interested. I like James Wan. I like Jason Momoa. I thought the first movie was good, but not great. I thought at times it was unnecessarily goofy or silly or weird, you know, uh, Mira eating the flowers or randomly playing a flute on the boat. Like, yeah, like, I, I, the, flute, the flute, the flute killed me. The flute, I can't. I saw the movie, I've seen it three or four times, and every time I just can't. So, uh, you know, here's hoping that it's a little less randomly out of nowhere, offbeat, goofy. Um, but listen, I, I, I'm very much into uh, what James Wan set up there. So, you know, what, 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 what we've heard about CinemaCon, it sounds like, all right, they're on an interesting path there. They're just building out what we've already kind of seen and taking it in some new directions. So I'm here for that. I'm also here for Black Adam. By the way, Brett, I don't know if you've heard. I see. Uh, we should talk about Black Adam and Shazam all together here. I even guess though Black so, yeah. Adam isn't uh, noted in the banner that you made. <clears throat> sorry, um, sorry. Brett. Oh, it's all right. It's all right for the people watching on the YouTube show. Brett is completely just he hates Black Adam, and he hates him because of what Dwayne Johnson had to say. At CinemaCon. You're never going to believe what Dwayne Johnson said at CinemaCon. He said, we are positioned to, we are positioned nicely to create something different. The hierarchy, the hierarchy of power, power in the DC, in the DC universe. universe is about, about to change. To change. He we said that doing, line word for word. Word for word. Anytime they've had any press and I better be something fucking huge in this movie if you're gonna keep saying that because i'm i'm at the point where like i think i don't want to even see this movie anymore because how much you said that <laughs> like shut up already well but listen man <laughs> the hierarchy anyway uh so according to this description here that i'm seeing the black adams trailer opens up on a spaceship flying against the snowy mountain landscape 
Pierce Brosnan's Dr. Fate says, Black Adam, what are what are the powers that have been given to you? Loving but heartache? What? That, that, is, is that what he said? I can't say it quite like that. These people who summarize these things. Black Adam he said... That, this language needs to... <laughs> Black Adam says that he was born a slave. Then I was reborn a god. Black Adam can be the savior of the world or its enemy. We see him destroying helicopters and coming in contact with what looks to be mercenaries. They're scared as he catches a rocket. <laughs> Aldous Hodge's Hawkman shows up to face Black Adam, telling him there are heroes and villains. Heroes don't kill people. Well, I do, says Black Adam. So, um... Yeah, and we apparently get you know some views at Adam Smasher and Cyclone and some of the other interesting characters that are going to be in the Justice Society of America that we're going to see in this film. Uh, so that all sounds pretty darn good. Uh, Do you think in the movie he's going to say the hierarchy <laughs> of power is about to change? If he does, I'm walking out. I I mean, right at out. this point, he may as well. He's said it enough times in every interview. He may as well just they may as well just rename the movie Black Adam Hierarchy. Of hierarchy power. of Power is about to change. That's going to be the tagline on the movie poster, right? Probably. Thousand percent. Um, and then the other big one, the other. I mean, now let's talk about Shazam. Shazam. Uh, Shazam also had uh, a showing at CinemaCon. And uh, the showing went as follows. Apparently, it opens up in, in, in the little clip that we see. We're see, we're seemingly in like a, a dream of Billy Batson's, where he's in Shazam mode and he's trying to woo a woman who appears to be Wonder Woman. Uh, and according to somebody who attended, it was not Gal Gadot, but someone who was vaguely Wonder Woman. Um, and he's suggesting that they could be known as hottie goddies or she's am. Yeah, they're being funny. <laughs> uh, but it's actually, it ends up being Jiman Hunsu's wizard, you know, the original Shazam, who's arrived to tell him that he must fight for your family, fight for the world. And there's also just a funny gag in the uh, sizzle reel here where Shazam apparently says, you know, and I've seen the Fast and Furious movie, so I know that saving the world is all about family. <laughs> um, <laughs> I love that. It's a little kind of, you know, breaks the fourth wall kind of you know, a little bit like it talks about movies. Yeah. I just think that's funny. Um, yeah, listen, you know, I, I, I want to see this thing before I can. Before I can judge it too much, but it sounds like we got Helen Mirren and Lucy Liu in there where there's a dragon. There's multiple dragons, apparently, <laughs> shown in this sizzle reel. So many dragons. There's just more dragons than you can uh, shake a stick at. I don't tend to shake a lot of sticks at dragons, personally. I would. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you know, it, it, all in all, Warner Brothers Discovery showed up at CinemaCon with a lot of DC goodness to show off. It sounds like a lot of it went over really well. So I feel like the buzz that's starting to grow right now is a positive buzz. And that's good. That's real good. You know, after the last several years of DC on film kind of having a bad rep. And, and projects seemingly being poisoned right out of the gate because people are like, I don't really want to see that. 
these movies that are all coming out seem to be hitting the right marks. The uh, the other one that got shown is The Flash. So yes. I want to talk to you a little bit about The Flash because, uh, well, there's stuff that I heard here that sounds awesome, and there's stuff that I heard here that honestly makes me cringe a little bit. <laughs> so, um, I mean, amongst many things, we I heard a rumor that you know Zod is actually shown. Zod is actually shown flying around in this one. And one of the weird thing is one of the weird things is that there's deadline at some point mentioned that looks like there might be a young Superman glimpsed in this, but other people have not made any mention of that whatsoever. So I wonder if maybe they saw a glimpse of Supergirl from far away. And since she was smaller than Superman, they might've thought it was a young Superman. I'm not sure. sure. I'm trying to get verification on that, but no one else has said it except for one person essentially. Um, but here we go. Here's like a quick breakdown. The Flash movie teaser breakdown. Barry goes back in time. We see his childhood home. Barry watching recording of himself? Question mark. Ticking clock. Long-haired Barry. Seven bat suits. Awesome <laughs> new Flash costume. Batman on bat cycle. Zod, Supergirl, Keaton's Batman returns. This is just someone wrote it all like uh basically yeah. sentence fragments. But uh, apparently this sizzle reel was really heavy on the bat lore. And some people sure. noted that like, I wonder if that's because Ezra Miller is kind of an issue right now. And maybe like they were like, let's make the sizzle reel very Batman heavy because we're still figuring out how we're going to handle the Ezra Miller portion of things. Right. You know? <laughs> and everyone loves universally. Everyone loves Michael Keaton's Batman. So maybe let's just put that front and center. And the rest will get sorted out in post, you know. But uh, look, th there's this thing where he's riding a motorcycle that really seems to look a lot like the Christian Bale, Christopher Nolan bat cycle. Uh, I hear it's not actually that, but it seemingly sort of reminds you of that. There's been a set leak, uh, I think, with a stunt rider on it. And yeah. It, it, uh, it it doesn't at least when I looked at it, I did not look like the one from uh, oh, okay. from in my opinion. It actually if, for me like I only saw the picture very quickly, but it looked more like something that like was like a hybrid between something you would see in the Tim Burton films or and like in the animated series. Like yeah. there was like a little like a bit of an Art Deco kind of look to it, which kind of fits with the Tim Burton uh, imagery, you know, that yeah, he yeah, had yeah, in yeah. Gotham. So uh, and apparently like the people are saying that it has like two wheels in the front and maybe one wheel in the back. So, uh, hmm. yeah, but it's a bad cycle. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then the big thing is that apparently at the end of the sizzle reel, we see Michael Keaton in the suit and he says the iconic line, you want to get nuts? Let's get nuts. Let's get nuts. Uh, that honestly to me is so cringe. I hate to say it. I know that I'm sure there's people who are like, oh my God, Michael Keaton says the line, but I'm like, Listen, I don't like the idea of that line existing as some sort of catchphrase that he, he says it all the time, like in every yeah. fight. Yeah. Like here we are 30, 40 years after Batman returns, and he just says that out of nowhere. 
Like to me, that feels like a reach. That feels like we're going for nostalgia. It's just a pure cringy sort of, hey, remember when I said this and you liked me when I said it? Now I'm saying it again. Because like, you know, to me, that line was great when it was Bruce Wayne thinking on his toes, thinking, how do I distract the Joker so he doesn't murder right. my girlfriend? And he's trying to basically try, you know, like as a, as a desperate ploy to distract the Joker, I love that line. And he smashes right. the vase and he's doing all this stuff. The idea that now as Batman, he just says that to someone. I'm like, well, I would I assume know. it's in like some that, that's at this point, it's like Barry trying to recruit him and he's going to be like, we're going to go into the multiverse. So he's like, well, you want to get nuts? That's, uh, Let's get nuts. All right. I don't know, so man. It's still I don't weird. like it. Um, the more interesting thing, though, Mario, is like um, some other reports are saying that when they actually come upon uh, Michael Keaton's Batman in this, he's more he is like a hermit. Like he has like a beard and stuff. Mm. Like a long beard and like and also and you mentioned the seven bat suits. Apparently, there's a shot in the bat cave and he has seven bat suits there. So like, uh, we haven't really seen any uh, and in in the movies we haven't seen any of our Batman with like a big suit collection at this point. So yeah. he's been operating for like the last like whatever. Uh, he he's officially I think in the uh, Earth eighty nine if I'm not mistaken. They oh. actually call it Earth eighty nine. Yeah. Um, so if yeah, he's been doing this for what like another thirty years or something. So yeah, it makes sense. That'll be cool to see if he has like a bunch of different suits, or it could be like a fun callback to like all those ridiculous action figures that I used to buy as a child, where it was like arctic night batman and then like you know underwater deep sea diving batman like they made all these stupid batmans <laughs> like action figures like it was just like dino crisis batman i'm like yeah, why yeah, is he yeah. fighting dinosaurs like <laughs> j jungle jungle reconnaissance batman i was like he's never been in a jungle he fights in gotham <laughs> like they did all this dumb garbage and, yeah and i bought them all i bought every single of course you did it. you're why they kept making those toys brad did and I, I made them broke there you go. Um, but uh, that'd be cool. That's a really good opportunity. I hope they have some fun little suits in there. But I hope maybe we get to see him. Maybe he's like a more tricked out, like uh, Tony Stark Batman. He has all different suits for every occasion. Maybe he has his shark repellent. You know? <laughs> maybe. Maybe. But uh, yeah. So there you go. CinemaCon came. Warner Brothers Discovery brought a lot of DC goodness to the table. And uh, they weren't the only ones. Sony showed up, and I don't want we'd have to spend too much time on this, Brett. But a couple <laughs> other things got announced, which was uh, yeah, Venom 3, which was probably kind of a, a no-brainer. Uh Ghostbusters 4, which I'm excited. Not good. <laughs> what? Venom? That Venom 2 was not oh. good. <laughs> See, and that's such a shame. I, I had high hopes for that. I mean, you like know, the first I, one wasn't really good either, but like it had something. There was something about something. the tone. It was it fun. Some. Like the second one is like was a rush job, and it just did not utilize Woody Harrelson to yeah. his full effect. Oh, and such a bummer. It to was hear. not as just not as cool as the first one. But I had yeah. to get into. We're getting well, a third one. And meanwhile, at the end of that, the big thing everyone was talking about was the post-credit sequence that seems to bring that Venom into the MCU. And then at the end of Spider-Man No Way Home, they're like, yeah, that was just for fun. He's going back yeah. to his own world nah. again. So never mind. There's a completely different symbiote in the MCU now, and we'll decide yeah. if we ever want to do anything with that. But uh, in the meantime, here's Venom 3, and here's Craven, and here's Madam Web, and yeah. here's 
El Muerto. Did oh, you hear yes. this one, Brett? Yeah. yeah. Reggaetonero, reggaeton singer Bad Bunny uh, is going to star in El Muerto. Um, I don't know, man. I don't know what's going on. When, when does Sony plan on unveiling some sort of Spider-Man in their Spider-Man universe? That, to me, would make a lot of these announcements easier to take. When do they plan on making a good movie? <laughs> that too. I, like, I don't even, I don't even, like, listen, the no Spider-Man thing is definitely a huge issue. Like, it kind of is weird to have these people with no spider Like, who is Kree, Kreeven hunting? Like, the whole point of him yeah. being a villain is that, like, he gets bored with yeah. hunting animals. He And yeah. he, big game, he wants to hunt the biggest game of all, Spider-Man. Yeah. So it makes no sense. Um, But, like, Morbius just tanked critically and commercially. Yep. Um. Venom one and two, I don't think were like massive successes. I think they I mean, were okay. one was one didn't one cost was. a lot, and it made almost nine hundred million, like close to a billion bucks. I don't know how million. two did. I'd have to double check. I'm I don't think sure. it did as well. No. I mean, listen, it's enough to give it a third one, I guess. But you have Tom Hardy like behind it, so yeah. you got a little more. You can get away with a little bit more with that. But yeah, then, yeah. like, Creven hasn't come out yet. I mean, like, hopefully that one, like, I think has a little bit of good buzz. I've been reading like some things. They've been working on that one for a while, so maybe they want to get that one right. But like, if if that comes out, is that the next one on the books? Is it Craven? Oh, I'm not even out? following. I I can't care. I think it might be if, if that do. one comes out and and like bombs. Yeah. Like, wh- what are, are we you doing? really gonna do, Madam Web and El Muerto? Yeah. Are you really gonna do Listen, that? <laughs> to, to me, like, the reason I brought up Spider Man is like. I would be able to understand these projects if I knew that they existed in some sort of thing where eventually this cross paths with Spider-Man or I know he's going to deal with El Muerto. So maybe let me see what El Muerto is all about. And same, you know, like with the absence of a Spider-Man just makes all of these projects seem like, why are we doing this? You know, to me, that's the main thing. And you're right. They should be focusing on making good movies and not even worrying about Spider-Man just yet. But for me, it's like, unless you've established what the main, what the overall tapestry we're building here is and where Superman lies, uh, Superman, see, he's, he's, he's always on the mind Yeah, where Spider-Man <laughs> plays into all this, then w- stop announcing these movies until we know what the hell's going on here, because it's just, it makes no sense to me. It's insane. Um, <laughs> but just real quick, I did finally see Ghostbusters Afterlife. Oh, very so, good. Yeah. So the the green light for Ghostbusters 4 puts a smile on my face. And I hope that uh, What's-His-Face comes back. Jason Reitman. Um, yeah. Uh, that would be that would be you know, naturally the best way to go with it. I liked Afterlife a lot. Um, it, by all, uh, you know... It's supposed to be a, a, I think I understand a sequel coming off Afterlife. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think they set up something cool. Um, we got to say kind of goodbye to the OG crew. Um, well, not necessarily. Also, actually, fun thing I should piggyback yeah. really quick. They did announce um a few new Ghostbuster games recently. Okay, there's a VR game, and then there's like another one that's going to be coming to consoles. I think it's like a multiplayer co-op thing. But mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken, I think they got uh, Ernie Hudson and Dan Aykroyd to reprise mm. their roles in the game and do some voice work. And um, Ernie Hudson is now like 
has like restarted Ghostbusters and he's like training and getting like new like like that's the point like the premise for the game. I mean, you get to create your own character and he's like started the Ghostbusters back up and he's like training all the new people. So that could be that could be cool. Maybe Ghostbusters Four does now is like they do try to bring that back and you know I mean granted depends I guess when they get that movie going. A lot of the kids were kind of younger. Uh, I mean, Finn, uh, what's his name? Finn Wolfhard. He's got to be like 13, 14, 15 now. So like in a couple years, it'll be 18 maybe. But It's like, got to be like 37. What are you talking about? No, he's 37. <laughs> I'm going to look that up. He's older than me now. Um, no, he's, probably like ni- he's probably older than he played in the movie, but he's probably like 19 now, right? 18, Finn 19. Wolfhard at the tone will be 19 years old. So he's an old man. Like, all right, so, so he's gonna be in his twenties by the yeah, time they make yeah, this movie. So, but I mean, like the other kids in that movie were had to be younger for sure, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I don't well, know if like you go. Are they the new ones? I mean, we could we could have Paul Rudd again. I want Paul Rudd in a Ghostbusters. See, that's for the yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, th- th- that's what I was getting at because w- when I said this all makes sense about the Ernie Hudson training a new generation. Yeah. Remember, at the end of Afterlife. You, we see that he opens up the doors to the old firehouse and right. seems to want to like dust it off and bring it back to its former glory. Yeah. So I'm glad that they're following up on that. And it got me thinking for a sequel, it'd be interesting since they've already introduced Paul Rudd as someone who's a big fanboy of the Ghostbusters and he is a scientist of sorts and he now has experience in this world. It'd be cool if they introduce a new team of Ghostbusters and Rudd is one of them, you know? Right. Um, I mean, it would mean that he had to leave um, what's uh, Egon's daughter in the country. Because remember, Paul Rudd and the daughter seem to strike up a romance. If he moves to New York City to become a Ghostbuster, I don't know how that romance goes. But uh, Or maybe maybe she comes along with him. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I feel like having Paul Rudd and a couple of other great, hopefully comedic, because that's the thing about Ghostbusters too. You know, yeah, it's about ghost busting. But what made those first two movies funny was the humor. They were hilarious. And it was Mel. Do you remember? What? I I don't know if it was a rumor from a long time ago or if it was just like fan casting. But there there was a rumor at one point. It was around like before or just before they ended up making the female Ghostbusters. I think I know where you're going with it. It was supposed to be like, I think it was going to be like Bill Hader, Seth Rogen, Paul Rudd, and like somebody else. And I was like, I believe you're right. I think that was a hit right there, man. Make that movie. I don't know. I mean, I don't know if like a lot of them still have the same panache. Like I'm a little over Seth Rogen. I always love Paul Rudd though. And I'm a big fan of Bill Hader and he's still got it going on. So I don't know. Imagine Bill Hader is almost like- Will Ferrell actually, I think was the other one. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, he's see, been there's making, a lot of he's been making stinkers, so I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, all right. Now I think, uh, look, we're at an hour and twenty, so I think we go straight to our final topic. We got to talk about Superman and Lois. Now that the show has returned from its hiatus, um, I'm just going to fix the banner while I talk to you because it's not episode nine; it's episode ten, and I deserve That's to be right. fired and flogged. There we go. Um, so it's back from its brief hiatus. It, on Tuesday night, we got to see where things went from uh, the last crazy episode. Yes. 
So, uh, so here we go. We ended up pretty much fully in that other world. Remember, you and I were talking a few weeks back about all this talk about the other side and and the unity with you merging with your other self and blah blah blah. Right. Well, all right but we need to see what this means. So it's not just yeah. this abstract. And we need to see where Superman is because he was yes. absent for an entire yeah. episode. So we finally got to see that bizarro world, and it was—I mean, it was super interesting. But we got to see—I mean, we got to find out more about Bizarro, by the way, that he wasn't just always this ogre monster type; that he actually was like a traditional Superman on his Earth, but he did things a little differently than our superman did rather than create an alter ego and a clark kent and a kent family he lived his life publicly where lois and his sons were known to the world as being members of the house of l and he almost lives like a like a celebrity on the red yeah. carpets posing for pictures and taking you know, and signing autographs and it's a very you know he this superman went just down a totally different path than yeah. the one that we know and at first I was worried about that because I'm like, are we doing the evil Superman again in an alternate Earth? Like we just did this last season where there's an Earth where the Superman went evil. But I thought what was interesting here is that like, yeah, he has some bad qualities. He makes yeah. some bad decisions. He's clearly not the most supportive father. He's And, and he hasn't quite nail the balance between work and family right where he seems to be right. always out doing the hero stuff which shows he's still superman he wants to save lives but he also has completely apparently kind of like neglected his family and his sons are suffering because of it so i guess in the end like he's not an evil superman it just kind of shows that like he went down a different path and yeah. it led him to you know not end up the best version of himself, but he does redeem redeem himself at the end, where he you know is willing to sacrifice his life to save his kids and to to try to make things right. Yeah. Um, Misguided, selfish, little narcissistic, you know, yeah. uh, kind of version of of our Superman. Yeah. What'd you think of the format this season? It was interesting. Like it seemed like after every commercial break, we would see the title card of like who we were there watching now. And yeah, I thought that was kind of neat. Yeah. Right? Yeah, and and even the time seemed to shift because the Bizarro stuff a lot of that was in flashback before yes. he'd become the white monster, you know, crazy Bizarro. And there was also a flashback with the brother and you got to see how him and his brother, Cal and Tal, or like thickest thieves and these loving yeah. supportive brothers who were there for each other and all this. Um I mean, th 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 I feel like there's a lot to unpack here. But I feel like the, I mean, biggest, the biggest yeah. thing to me was Jonathan L. You know, we got to see Jonathan a way that we've never seen him before. Because on our earth, where when we get to see him, he's the normal brother. He's, you know, the, the normal, regular brother. And in the other world, he's the one with the superpowers. And he becomes like straight up rebellious teenager. I hate my parents. I'm going to go do you know, bad things with these powers. Right. Uh, kind of, yeah. And he gets sucked, you know, pulled into that world of the cult leader, uh, yeah. which now of we Allie, finally yeah. see of Ali and, and, and all that. And then there's what happened with the army general, whose name is now evading me, who Anderson. Anderson there you go. He had a very interesting arc in this. Yeah. One too, where very interesting. 
he goes through the portal he sees his alternate self and then as they are about to merge Jor uh, jonathan kills the one that is from the alternate earth yeah and bizarro he, anderson <laughs> yeah the bizarro anderson and then anderson basically kind of becomes an anti-hero because he goes on the run with the medallions and he's hiding and then he realizes that Superman on his earth was doing the right thing all along. That Superman was protecting his family. That's why there were secrets. And that's why, yeah. you know, he has this whole like epiphany toward like a redemption end. arc kind of. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm sorry. I was so wrong. And you saved me even after all these terrible things I did to you. And Superman in pure Superman form says, well, that's because I think everyone is deserving of being saved. And yeah. all that, you know, th th there's so many different um, things in this episode that I thought were like really, really cool and really different and unexpected. Uh, what what did you think of episode 10? Yeah, no, I really liked it. I think there was a lot, a lot going for it. Um, I I did appreciate the the twist with Anderson. I was like, oh crap, that was actually cool. Like I they they really like totally flipped his character around yeah um i liked like the different i i like like you said like i was a little nervous how they were gonna they're just gonna do evil superman but like they made it a little more nuanced than that and they showed what effect that had on jonathan and how it put him down like maybe you know the wrong path we'll yeah. see if he gets like some kind of redemption you know later on in the season um the you know, it was interesting. Like, also, like the planet was square instead of round, which I there found was a lot. Yeah, and everyone talked backwards, or, or rather, they talk normal. But once one of us goes to that Earth, yeah, our words come out in reverse. The, the one thing that I thought was like a what little, it was a little cheesy. It, it had that CW kind of quality to it. What? Um, why was everyone goth? Like everyone looked like they just got out of like a Cure music video or something. <laughs> like, did you notice every single person was goth? Like, that yeah, was Lois the had style like the, there. the the chopped bangs and that sort of severe yeah, look. Black and um, Jordan, Jordan was even long, yeah. Jordan was already kind of goth, and then he was like super. Like, he's got goth, makeup like, and black nail um, polish. Even the girl that runs the newspaper, she had like the little goth yeah. like hair thing and the the fishnet. Everyone in that office was dressed in like leather. Yeah, I was like, you're right. Oh, it's a little oh, arbitrary oh, to be like, oh, this is an oh, alternate world. We're gonna make everyone look edgy and gothy. And that's yeah, I was like, they could have just like, I kind of, I almost wish they just looked the same, but had the weird, bizarro white cracky crackly face. They could have all just I that. wonder if maybe because they just did because then it's too much like it's a multiverse thing where it's just it's it's an earth and it's slightly askew and slightly different, but it's still a recognizable earth. If this is meant right. to be like an inverted bizarro world, then I guess you know it has to feel more overtly different. Now, did they all yeah. have to be goth? No. But I was also like like in our like think about our planet, okay? Like Probably the majority of people are not goth. They're maybe like <laughs> yeah. more like mainstream and you have a couple of goths around. So it would have been more sense if there was like maybe like a lot of goths, but then some people kind of normal. But they yeah. just everyone was goth. That was the prevailing style <laughs> was goth there. So that's the thing that, that stuck out to you most. Not the square earth, but the goth hairstyles and clothing. Also, I think Talro said what in Square Earth actually was one of the he lines, did. which I actually loved. It was really good. <laughs> it was corny, but it was good. Like yeah. they just, he did it just right. Um, 
it was funny. But yeah, that, that really stuck out to me. I was like, eh, that's the CW kind of coming through. But otherwise, really interesting episode. Um, you know, it looks like Allie finished the merge. We didn't get to see the final yeah. form if she's going to look different or turn into some weird monster or something. Um, and then, uh, yeah, did we get, did he, we don't, did he get back? Yeah, well, Jonathan comes back to the farm and confronts yes. Lois and Jordan when they realize that's not our Jonathan. Yeah. And then he turns and faces the uh, our Jonathan who's coming out of the barn. That's right. That's and then right. it ends yeah. on like that cliffhanger. So, oh. yeah, so everything ends back up on our earth and we know Superman's coming to try and save his son after Tal in the Bizarro world saves him so he can go do that. So that was kind of neat because he realized yeah, that he cool. failed his brother on that world. He's not going to fail him. I think it's, you know, Tal in general seems to be, whether he's in that world or in this world, uh, they seem to really want to show that, like, there is a great potential for good in that character. And it's all just, you know, he, um, you know, it's, it's, it's nature versus nurture. He was raised by that hateful Kryptonian AI father who turned him into this monster. But at his core, whether here or there, there's a good person in there. And I do like that a lot. Um, and I hope we get to see a lot more Talro. But yes. in terms of this episode, you know, I feel like if I had to rate it on a scale of one to 10, this is like an eight out of 10 for me. I think it's another very, very good one. I'm very intrigued by where, where, where things are going here. I really want to see though, like when Allie completes this merge, Right. They've done so much prep here telling us that if that happens, it's all over. Now she's doing it. I was surprised they let her do it. Like I I, I, right. I thought like when she started coming together, <coughs> oh, sorry. And then we do the flashback of Tal and Cal's relationship. I thought that was leading to when we get back to the present, Tal Rowe is gonna stop the merge from happening. Instead, like he helps our Superman get back to Earth and go save his boy, but he doesn't stop the merge. So I'm like, so this is happening. This thing that we've heard for 10 episodes, that if this happens, it's the end of all everything yeah. is happening right in front of us. And no one's really trying to stop it now. So, Gosh. you know, I just hope that like they could live up to this because now they've kind of they, they backed themselves into a corner saying that she'll be more powerful than any being that's ever existed in Everdom. So right. in episode 11, when we see this newly merged alley, what the hell are they going to do to exemplify this? And how the hell are we going to stop her? Or is the reason they did this because it actually goes horribly wrong or it isn't what she thought was going to happen. Right. You know, like, I don't know. So is it, is it just like, if she merges, she's gonna become powerful, but like, what if everyone merges? Will they also become like uber powerful or just her because she has the medallions? I don't know. Like, 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 let's say the two Jonathan away. Yeah. She gave it to be. Jonathan to bring back to Earth. So she doesn't yeah. even have the medallion. You know, That's so right. I, you know, so, so I do have a question mark on it as to how they're going to pay that off. And if it turns out that she's just another sort of Superman type figure that he has to fight and beat up or whatever, I'm going to be disappointed. You know, you've said that she's going to have these otherworldly abilities and will destroy human, you know, the earth, the world as we know it. 
then we've just let her become that form of herself. So what yeah. the hell is going to be next week? There's yeah. still four more episodes. We have 11, 12. Yeah, we have four more episodes to go. Yeah. So time to see where you know, we're about to find out where this has all been leading towards. So, I also wonder, I have a little okay. theory that the two Jonathans merge and then by the end of the season, they're able to like unmerge them. But it leaves our regular world Jonathan with, with ours. ours. <laughs> and that's how he gets them. Like they transferred over during the merge. And then we got the super bros. See, I'm not sure I want that though. I, I like the idea of only one of them has it and they kind of have to balance each other out in that way. I, I if it's if it's both, I to me it almost becomes a little gimmicky. I like the idea yeah. of only one of them has the powers, you know. But I dig that. We'll we'll see we'll see what comes. And then Jordan comes over and merges, and they just become more goth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all that happens is the Jordan from our Earth, his hair gets straight. He gets some some guy liner and some black nails, and he loses his powers. Twist. <laughs> he becomes super goth. Jonathan gets the powers. Wow! And it's a swap reversal. Yikes. All right. So uh, I think that about does it for episode 147 of the Fanboy Podcast. Folks, if you ever have questions or comments that you'd like for us to tackle here on the show, please, please, please email them to thefanboypodcast at gmail.com. Uh, and please find us over on the Twitter. You can find Brett at SuperBrettCon. And you can That's find right. me at Superman on Film. And uh, that's it. And oh, and please, it always helps the shows when you like, rate, review, and subscribe. So if you've not yet, please do any or all of those things. And if you write a nice review, I'll read it here on the show for all the world. That's right. So uh, until next week, be kind. And stay fanboy. Adios. <laughs>